I'm Cynthia Murphy. And I'm Georgia Bowers. And this is Delete My Browser History. So it's my turn to go first this time. It is. Another kind of sad one, I think. Oh. I've called this one the sad case of Jane Castle. Oh. And this, I was doing some research for Legend Buried, which I've mentioned before on here. And this idea that all the local legends and myths come to life in this town and start like attacking people. Yeah. And I really wanted to have a a woman who was who died quite a violent death so that she would sort of when she came back to life, she'd like be really angry at people. And so that's why she kind of want to attack people and drag them back down to wherever with her. So I was doing some looking for some sort of grisly stories in, in the local history section at my local library. And I came across this story and I, I, I said to you, didn't I, that I'd, I'd, I'd found it and I wanted to talk about it. Yeah. But um, I couldn't remember where it was because I didn't make a note of it. So when I went back, I, um, I was in the library and I found it immediately. And it's, I urge you to go and use your local library, especially the local study section, because you find lovely books with images like this on the cover. Oh, nice. nice oh, eh? you know what? Mine is going to weirdly link in with yours this week. Really? Yeah. Spooky. Yeah. Spooky. So is it so, recent? No, it's, it's, it's um, this is, this is from 1859. Okay. And then I'm going to just share a little bit of like what happened when I was doing the research with you as well later at the end. So yeah, this is, and this just, this story, when I read it, I just, I just thought it was so sad and it really stuck with me and I don't know what it is. There was something about her, about Jane Castle and what happened. It, it was just, it just really lingered. And the annoying thing is that it, it features in quite a few local history books. It pops up um, quite a few times and there's a couple of pictures of, of, um, the uh, antagonist of the story, but there's no pictures of Jane, which annoyed me. But anyway, oh. I'll tell you what happened to her. At 11.31 morning, the, the morning, 9th of August, 1859, a horse keeper called John Purser was trundling down the track with his cartload of coal when he saw something, something caught his eye, and he thought it was a woman's dress. He was just going past a sort of castle mound where there was this like old chalk pit, which had become a sort of overgrown dell, and he saw this piece of black cloth. So he pulled over and he jumped off to investigate, and it was actually the body of a woman. And she was lying on her back. Back with her knees bent beneath her so it was like she was in a praying position and she'd just fallen right back okay. and that's how he found her her throat was cut and there was blood everywhere and there was still blood oozing from her wound in her neck and she was still warm so he'd found her fairly soon after whatever it is that had happened her shawl and, and a bonnet were a couple of meters away with a little blood trail following them onto the road and and he looked at the road and there was sort of a bit of a sign of a struggle there was loads of footprints and lots of dust and stuff like that these stories the reports differ slightly but one of them says that he he picked her up and he, he put her in his car and he drove her straight to the, the heron pub which was near luton because in those days they they doubled up didn't they as mortuaries pubs did they um, i 
I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I, I've been to, there's a pub in Ireland where my family are from that has got a mortuary at the back. Huh. So it was obviously something that used to happen. I've seen a mortuary table in Ireland, but that was in a castle, not in a pub. pub. Yeah. <laughs> Which, so, you know, it's probably good. I think this said that, that pubs used to double up as lots of things. They used to serve, you know. I bet they did, because I bet a yeah. lot of times it was like the only thing that was. Be a central around. place, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, he took her straight to this pub, but then another report said that he he contacted the police. He left her there, he contacted the police. But either way, the murder sort of spread. The word of, of, of what happened had spread until it got to the ears of the actual murderer. I also read that a couple of women found the body and they were the ones to alert the police. But so anyway, it doesn't really matter that part. But anyway, so who was she and who was the murderer? So that brings us to a little while before. In 1857, 22-year-old Joseph Castle, who was a malt maker, he met and married Jane Whitcroft, who of course became Jane Castle. So Jane was apparently, by all accounts, a very sweet-natured person. She was very didn't doesn't give her age, which again annoys me. We know how old he is, the murderer, yeah. but we don't know how but old she is. But that's just typical of the yeah. time, isn't it? Isn't yeah, it? yeah. Um, and apparently, she, uh, according to witnesses, she never did anything apart from a bit of sewing. So she was just sort of kept herself to herself, seemed like a lovely person. But it wasn't a happy marriage from the very beginning because Joseph was just irrationally jealous. He would just fly into like a wild rage if she smiled at somebody, if she paid any attention to anybody apart from him. Even his relatives said that he was just jealous of people that he'd never even met. Um, He wouldn't let her work. He wouldn't let her see her friends or her family or her neighbours. He became violent if she had any visitors, especially if they were male. And it was just a cycle that she just experienced over and over again. And I suppose she was just, you know, she just kept herself to herself as much as she could. But it just seemed to always surface again, this this jealousy and, and just flying into a rage. So it was so bad that even his relatives were telling her to leave him and I don't think he could hold down a job for very long and he used to spend a bit of time in the pub but he wasn't like a massive drinker or anything but he just didn't seem to be able to you know function properly and um, so they lived in I think it was his uncle's house his uncle and auntie's house with his uncle and his uncle and auntie and like I said they told her that she should probably leave him and that, so but that wasn't a to, thing was it no not to get involved like that especially you know siding with the wife rather than your family yeah um, so she tried to leave him before but she got caught and he ended up he ripped up all of her clothes so that she couldn't leave the house oh but remember, she's good at sewing, so hopefully she sewed them all together. Well, that's why she only ever did sewing, isn't oh, it? Because yeah. just so sad. Didn't have a choice. So yeah. So she came up with this plan. They were living in Ware, is which is a, a place near Luton, I think. And with the help of, I think it must have been um, his cousin. It was the, it was the daughter of the uncle and auntie that she was living with they kind of came up with a bit of a plan for her to escape so on the 8th of August she tried again because they knew that he was going to be out all day so she decided to walk 24 miles to Luton to where her parents live so 24 miles would take you about eight hours and it was August so it was really hot so you know she was going out on quite a journey and apparently this female who was living in the house she walked part of the way with her and she said her statement at the end was that the whole 
way she was just looking over her shoulder convinced that he was going to come after her yeah they stopped at an old teacher's house one of Jane's teachers to rest and then she managed to get a lift on a coal cart the rest of the way to her mum's house but by the time she arrived at her mum's Joseph had discovered that she'd gone and he obviously just went into a rage and started he ran to the local he went to the railway station and asked if anybody had seen her he was demanding to know if if she'd been uh, she'd run off with a butcher he had a thing that she'd got she was having some kind of affair with the local butcher or something Um, and then he knew that she perhaps would have gone to this teacher's house because she trusted this teacher and so he went to her house and they kind of had it out in the street and I don't think she was the teacher told him anything but then a neighbour overheard what was happening and ended up saying she's gone to her mum's I think I don't know maybe reading between the lines maybe she was worried for the teacher something you know he was gonna do something to her and yeah oh they were just a nosy yeah neighbor saying the wrong thing yeah so then some reports say that he arrived in Luton at about 10 o'clock that night and he hung around in the dark because he wasn't sure whether Jane's father was home or not and he didn't want to well you know he was happy to deal with her but he didn't want to deal with her father and so he hung up he hung around and at one point apparently he grabbed a woman on the street who he thought was Jane um and she sort of she screamed in his face but he realized it wasn't her and he just went running off into the night and then at seven o'clock in the morning he very calmly let himself into her family home and walked into the kitchen and said to her sister where's Jane and Jane was the oldest of three sisters and I suppose in those days again you wouldn't get involved in anything domestic like that it was just you married someone and that was your yeah and men had so much more so many more rights than women did yeah it makes me shake this story I don't know it just really really got to me so I think the thing is that she made it to her mum's house and he arrived and he said said to his sister her sister where is she and she said she's upstairs asleep in in my mum in mum's bed so he just went past her and went upstairs and found Jane sitting in her mum's bedroom on the bed and he came in and and um, he was just like, oh, I'm so tired. You know, I've been walking all night or whatever. And he took his boots off and got into bed with her. Oh, I know. And it just, I don't know. It just, you hear these really awful stories, of domestic violence all the time. Yeah. And it, 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 it just, even though this happened so long ago, you could see this happening now, you know, like someone just, oh, it's now just get back into bed with you. And uh. So he got into bed with her and she just rolled over and faced away from him. And he was just giving her all that and saying, you know, come home with me, I'll change and blah, 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 and all this sort of stuff. And she was just having none of it um, until her sister called her down for breakfast so she went downstairs he stayed upstairs sulking and listening to what they were talking about they were arguing her and her sister she said apparently she said you're not going to go with him are you he'll murder you and Jane said he may as well murder me one way or another um, and then eventually he came downstairs and he just apparently sat in the chair next to the fire smoking his pipe and they kept asking him to leave and he wouldn't leave and he was there a couple of hours and there was lots of arguing until um, Jane agreed to go with him and some reports say that she you know was stupid enough to go home with him which is you know she's yes. stupid in this situation um, but other reports have said that she'd left all her clothes so she, maybe she offered to walk halfway with him just to kind of get him out of the house or something yeah so not really sure about why she went with him but, but it sounded like she was so worn down yeah it could have just been yeah. the easiest thing. and maybe she 
was worried that he would do something to the sister or yeah do something to her family yeah now that he was in the house yeah and apparently a few people saw them walking through the town and he was just like walking ahead just you know going off on one just like really angry and she was just walking behind just beside herself so then if we go back to finding the body so obviously we know that it's the body of Jane it was found a mile and a half from her parents house so that's about 15 minute walk this is the thing that gets me as well that she got to the sanctuary of her mum's house like her mum's bed she was in her mum's bed like it's really upsetting just to talk about it I think and just think right I'm okay now you know I'm going to be okay and then there he is he appears in the room there he is you know she's she's not safe and then whatever happened then happened 15 minutes away from where she lived where she grew up with her family and her sisters apparently police used bloodhounds which was like one of the first times they did it so I think word had spread quite quickly about what had happened at this point and lots of people were, were around and like at the at the scene of the, the crime and everything so they used bloodhounds to search the area and they found a knife that belonged to Joseph's uncle the one that they lived with so he so had, he had no gone with the intention of, yeah, yeah he had no intention of bringing her home he picked up that knife and he carried it all the way to Luton planning to use it on her planning oh. you know it just oh just awful apparently she had cuts all over her hands where she she tried to stop him and there was a little bit of like speculation about when he gave himself up when he went on the run and he heard that everybody knew about the murder he went straight to the police the superintendent and said I've had an argument with my wife and then she ran away I don't know where she is but he was covered in blood and he had I think he had a couple of cuts and the police officer was just like we found her we know that you killed her and he was like no she must have killed herself I think she probably committed suicide yeah obviously with the cuts all over her hands and everything there was no way that she could have they said that it, it, it wasn't suicide that she was trying to defend herself there was a bit of confusion as to where and how it happened Joseph's his final confession said that he cut her throat from ear to the middle here while she was still standing up and then he grabbed her and stuck the knife below her ear towards her windpipe and apparently she said joe you have done it at last then she walked towards the dell hole and fell in and dropped to her knees lifting her arms up as if in prayer and he left her there and he said she was still alive when he left her and that's why they found her in that strange position but the surgeon's examination and the evidence went on the trial said that the evidence that they gathered showed that she had had her throat cut but she didn't like walk away he then dragged her to the dell where he forced her to her knees and then he stuck the knife in underneath her ear and I think that's what's so awful did he make her beg for her life yeah did she just drop to her knees and she was just begging him not to kill her but like also like the goal of him to be like he said oh you finally done it it's like revelling in it a little bit isn't it yeah yeah well then during the, the time that he was in the prison and during the trial and everything like leading up to the trial apparently he was just completely indifferent about the whole thing he just you know he wasn't bothered um he ate really well they said that he put on like two stone when he was in prison because he was just eating so well like he wasn't remorseful at all wow so anyway it finally went on trial in bedford at the court in bedford and the it was just the whole suicide thing was completely thrown out really quickly and the jury came back after 13 minutes and they found him guilty but again even he was still really really relaxed during the whole trial didn't really seem to grasp 
grasp what it was that was going to happen to him because he was then sent for execution. And apparently it was one of the last public executions in Bedford. Um, But there was lots of people there because, as I said, lots of people had heard about it. And apparently before his execution, he told one of the prisoners, one of his prison mates, that he'd he'd done it because she'd abused him. So he was still just like blaming her for it all right until the end, you know, even though he'd been caught and found guilty for it until the actual day of his execution. And he sort of, he had his breakfast and then this sort of wildness came over him and then he sort of seemed to realise what it was that was happening to him. And yeah, so he was executed and that was the end of him. Good. <laughs> yeah, it, it's just such, such a sad story. Yeah, um, and unfortunately and, one that doesn't oh, sound unfamiliar, you know. No, that, I think that's why it's so upsetting because you can, like I said, you can take it from that historical setting and just put it in a contemporary setting, I think. Yeah. And when I was looking for this, Right, I kid you not. Um, it was really weird because I think I told you before in my in my public in my library, the lights are all motion sensors. Yeah. So I was like crouching on the floor and like my research had gone really well. I was like, there it is, there it is. And I found all these books. So I was like on the floor with all these books around me. And I'd obviously been there so long and it was a Sunday afternoon. So there was like hardly anybody in the library. <laughs> and all the lights started going off. Above oh. me, and I was like, <laughs> and then I went to have a little look in the card catalogue, which is obviously where we keep some of the older, like we we keep a record of all like the newspaper cuttings and might like some various stories and stuff and local history articles. And I opened the card catalogue and guess which card was standing on its side? No. Joseph Castle. Like that way? Yep. They're all like this. And it was like that. I opened it up and there it was. I kid you not. That's really creepy. I know. Obviously somebody else had been looking at it, but even so I was just like, Jane, I'm going to share your story. She was there. Oh, bless. Yeah, it's really, really sad. Really sad it story. Sad. I think normally as well, when you hear an older one, they're almost not as sad because you're far removed from it. But like yeah. I said, so many domestic violence cases these days, it's just a same old, same old, isn't it? Yeah. Oh. And I think it was just that, you know, she, as I said, just that decision that she was going to finally be free of him and to like even just be there. Yeah. The bravery it must have taken and then he ruined it. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, oh. I hope you've got a cheerful one now. Mine is a bit more light-hearted but it does weirdly <laughs> weirdly kind of tie in because I'm going to tell you about Springheel Jack oh yes Springer Jack is an old folklore tale from London and it really heavily inspired my first book to the point where the villain is Springheel Jack, which I don't think is a spoiler. <laughs> if it is, sorry, spoiled the book. <laughs> <laughs> Please buy it anyway. So Wikipedia as ever. So the first sightings of Springheel Jack were in London in 1837 and there are later sightings all over the UK, mostly in the suburbs of London, Midlands and Scotland. And it was an incredibly popular urban legend mainly because he had a really bizarre appearance he could leap over walls <laughs> I've written he had parkour skills <laughs> just got this image of him going parkour yeah. jumping over parkour. walls <laughs> Um, So this strange appearance, he was said to be terrifying and frightful and had eyes like red balls of fire. He wore a black cloak. He wore a tight fitting white oilskin suit and helmet. 
products, which <laughs> when I think of it, I think like latex or rubber, but when I look at <laughs> oil skin, it's like, you know, on old films where you see a, a fisherman in the yellow slickers yeah. and the waders, yeah. that's oil skin. So he had a white kind of oil skin thing right. on. So I think it actually probably looked more like a painter's overalls than like a catsuit, but that's just what I've always imagined it as. He had a devil-like aspect. He was a tall and thin gentleman, which of course reminds me of Buffy. Um, and actually, I've never thought of him as scary until I thought of that, because that would be quite creepy if it was just, or Slenderman, this oh, tall, yeah. skinny gentleman. Yeah. He could breathe blue and white flames. He wore sharp metallic claws. And at least two people claimed that he could speak some kind of comprehensible English. So a very strange figure. So a bit of background, London at the time, Victorian England, there was ghosts everywhere, or people at least claimed to see ghosts everywhere. So one famous one was the Hammersmith ghost between 1803 and four, and then he reappeared in 1824. And there was also the Southampton ghost, who was known to assault individuals. And that was really similar to spring Jack because he could jump over houses, he would jump over carriages, and he was apparently over 10 feet tall. So there is a little bit of folklore already there before people start seeing Jack. The first sighting was in October 1837, and it was a young lady called Mary Stevens. And fun fact, police report at the start of Last One to Die, um, we have PC Bowers, who's the interviewing officer, but the person he's interviewing is called Mary Stevens. So I've taken that directly from the legend. She was a servant girl and it says on wikipedia that she was walking to lavender hill which is in between battersea park and clapham common in south london it said she worked in lavender hill and she'd been visiting her parents in Battersea which when I looked on the map it didn't really make sense why she would go all the way around to come back because it says she saw him in Clapham Common but I don't know how she got there so I don't know if that bit's right but she saw him anyway and the figure leapt out at her from a dark alley bit of a trigger warning for assault he grabbed her he kissed her face he ripped her clothes and touched her flesh with his claws she said he was cold and clammy with hands like those of a corpse which is just gross isn't it Mm. she screamed and he liked it and several people came out to her screams and helped search for him but they didn't find anybody the next day he was claimed to be seen leaping in front of a carriage the coachman lost control and crashed and was severely injured and witnesses said he leapt over a nine-foot wall and cackled with high-pitched ringing laughter so to me I don't know if these things are that she'd been walking home late at night a load of people come out of the pub and helped to search and then the next day a coachman at the pub had gone I saw him too and that's why I crashed mm-hmm. not the fact that I was drinking yesterday but that's just my yeah. conjecture <laughs> So news began to spread and the press and public began to call him Spring-Heeled Jack for the fact that he could jump over these high distances. So in January 1838, the mayor of London received a complaint. The mayor got this letter that said, it appears that some individuals, or of, as the writer believes, the highest ranks of life, have laid a wager with a mischievous and foolhardy companion that he durst not take upon himself the task of visiting many of the villages near London in three different disguises, a ghost, a bear and a devil, and moreover that he will not enter a gentleman's gardens for the purpose of alarming the inmates of the house. The wager has, however, been accepted, and the unmanly villain has succeeded in depriving seven ladies of their senses, two of whom are likely not to recover, but to become burdens on their family. So he's essentially saying that some, like, gentlemen have had a bet and said, we bet you won't go and do this, and he said, yes, I will. 
it was reported in the Times after that on the 9th of January, 1837, and then other newspapers on the 10th. And I actually went on newspapers.com and found the original article, but it's very much what I've just read out. They then got several letters about wicked pranks that had been performed. One said that several women in Hammersmith had been frightened into dangerous fits and some severely wounded by a sort of clause the miscreant wore on his hands. And then other claims started to come in from Stockwell, Brixton, Camberwell and Vauxhall. One of them said somebody had died of fright and others had had fits. In 14th of April, 1838, so we're talking six months later, it was reported in Sussex that somebody had appeared in a garden in the shape of a bear or some other four-footed animal. Now, I'm not really sure why a bear and a devil mm. and a man all go together, but it just seemed that there was this massive commotion and yeah, everything yeah. was just blamed. So the best-known attack is 19th of February, 1838, and it's on Jane Alsop. Jane Alsop is also a character in Last One to Die. And she answered the door to the police, and there was a policeman there in a cloak, and he said they'd caught Springheel Jack, and could she bring a candle? So she went and got a candle, she came out, she noticed he had a cloak on, which she thought was strange for a police officer. He threw off the cloak and presented a most hideous and frightful appearance. And this is where the stories about the flame shooting out and the red eyes comes from and the white oilskin suit underneath his cloak. He clawed at her gowns with claws of some metallic substance and she was rescued by her sister when she started to scream. Now, later that night in a pub, a guy called Thomas Milbank, who was a plasterer or a painter, I'm not sure which, was in the pub and he started to boast that he was Springheel Jack. So because this attack had happened nearby, Thomas Milbank, who there's also a name derived from that in Last One to Die, he was arrested, but he escaped conviction because he couldn't breathe fire. And she was absolutely adamant that the person had breathed fire and so he got released. And most of these accounts are from a long time afterwards. So there's no actual contemporary news reports, you know, a couple of days right. later on these. They're all written a little bit later. But nobody was ever, no one was ever found or convicted of being Springheel Jack. It's a bit of a mystery who he was. And then there was real later sightings. So um, they became less frequent, but more widespread all over the UK. Northamptonshire, East Anglia, Devon, Sheffield. He's sometimes known as other names but they tend to come back to Springheel Jack so he might be known as the ghost of somewhere or whatever but somehow it always links back in with Springheel Jack mm. he was also seen in Aldershot Lincolnshire and Liverpool so really kind of spread out yeah. and I think this is mainly because he became such a cult character there was Penny Dreadfuls written about him there was comics written about him he was even at a time in the Punch and Judy shows when the devil used to come in the devil was replaced with Springheel Jack for a while so you can oh, imagine it's cool. seaside towns everywhere yeah he was also, his name was used as like that of a bogeyman to scare Victorian children into going to bed and coming yeah. in at night time. So, you know, go to bed or spring Jack will get you. Isn't that interesting how stories spread? It is, isn't it? And then look at the Wikipedia page. At the end, yeah. it's got links to all different, very similar kind mm. of legends. You've got the Jersey Devil in yeah. America, and that's a similar kind of, you know, man-devil hybrid. But he never killed anyone that we know of. And in popular culture... 
he's in a couple of things, but not as many as I thought. But there is a book by Philip Pullman that's like from the 90s where he's actually a bit of a good guy. It's like a little graphic novel. And of course, my first book, Last One Today. And if you want to hear a really good account of that legend, there is an episode of a podcast called Lore, L-O-R-E. And episode 22, Over the Top, is the one that I originally listened to that sparked the idea for the story. So that is Springfield Jack. There you go. Don't have nightmares. I know. I think that's definitely more lighthearted than you. He didn't kill anyone. Yeah. He's just a bit. Yeah, that's true. He didn't actually kill anyone. <laughs> no. Just, just terrified no, people into having fits. Yeah. And it, what was it? Like, we'll never regain this. It will be a burden on their families. <laughs> <laughs> so. Yeah, that's definitely better. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you for joining us. We'll see you next time.